Today's guest is Bill Vandenbush. Bill is the author of the book, If Morning Never Comes. He has had three near-death experiences and has been a near-death experience speaker for over 30 years. And luckily, today we will learn about some of his experiences. Bill, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate you giving me some time today. Well, you're very welcome, Jeff. I feel privileged to be here with you. All right. Well, let's get right to it. My audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So can we start with the one you had when you were in Vietnam? Yes. uh, That was probably the most uh, profound experience. And uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I joined the military and volunteered to be an infantry soldier and go to Vietnam and fight in the war. I felt it was my duty as an American. I grew up in the John Wayne generation, you know, and that was kind of a a duty and a rite of passage for a young man to go into the military. And I probably wasn't a good choice to volunteer to go to Vietnam, but uh, I did it, and, and uh, now I have to live with it, so... Um, but, uh, I went through all the training and, uh, they shipped me over to Vietnam. It was quite an experience. Um, a lot of death and dying. So by the time I, uh, was wounded and had my own near death experience, I had experienced the death of other men, uh, as well. So, you know, death was not totally unfamiliar to me. Um, we were out with a, uh, I'd been there about 10 months. And uh, we were out with a company size unit. And we were headed back into a base camp. And the company commander called me up and said, hey, there's a helicopter that's been shot down. Would you and your men join these other two squads? and go out with us and find it. And and that was pretty standard procedure. Uh, We would usually go out, destroy the equipment inside, rescue the crew, and get out of there. So when we arrived at the area where the helicopter had been shot down, I couldn't see where it was, but I could tell that we were taking fire. And so I told my men to get off the, the uh, helicopter and, and move up to a tree line. It was actually just a hedgerow around a rice paddy, but the rice paddy was dry. So uh, it was, uh, we were able to just run right through it and flop down on the ground. And uh, we were just taking fire from every side. And I knew that it was just going to get worse. Um, so I tried to stay back a little bit so that I could kind of guide my men in where to shoot. I would shoot tracer rounds where I could see uh, bullets coming from, muzzle flashes. And, uh, and then uh, they could fire in that direction. So I was watching the 
the hedgerows to see where we were taking fire. And suddenly I saw a jet plane come overhead, two of them. And I knew that the company commander then had called in an airstrike. I didn't have a radio, so we were kind of out of communication with them. And I watched the planes circle around and they dropped their first load of bombs and it landed up near the top of the hillside. And I thought, you know, if these guys let those bombs go too soon, it's going to land right on me. And I watched the planes go around and come back and make another run. And sure enough, they let them go too soon. The bombs came right down on my position. I was blown up. I took shrapnel in the face. I crushed my face in, tore out my right eye. I took shrapnel down the uh, right side, in the back, a little bit in the leg. And I thought, this is it. This is the end. This is where I say goodbye to everybody. I I was 19 years old at the time. I just turned 19. And I thought, gosh, you know, here I am, thousands of miles from home, no mom to kiss it and make it better. Um, And I'm going to die in the dirt right here in, in Vietnam. And the blood was gushing out of my face and and uh, I just, I just wanted to get it over with. So I took off my pack and made myself comfortable. And I just laid down there and said, goodbye, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm in this dark corridor and... I'm kind of gliding forward and I come out in this magnificent white light. It was breathtaking. It was just uh, the most magnificent thing I had seen. It filled me with warmth. Uh, It took away all the pain. It took away the concern about my injuries I was no longer worried about dying. Uh, of course, I didn't realize that I was dead. Mm. And uh, I was just kind of standing there in awe and feeling all this love and this kindness and this openness and this generosity that existed in this place. And I saw this ball of light moving forward. And I thought, that I think that's my grandfather. Even though he wasn't in human form, he was just kind of a ball of light. I could sense who he was. Um, and it was, it was my grandfather who had passed away about five years prior to that. And um, he just told me to relax and everything's going to be okay. You know, to come on in and he was going to show me around and and be my guardian angel. And I thought, oh, this is okay. You know, this is good. And I could feel that, again, that 
all that unconditional love that was coming from this light. And it was just the most, just incredible feeling of being whole, of being everything I was supposed to be. Even at age 19, um, I could feel all of that love and caring and kindness that was coming from the light. And as we were talking, my grandfather and I, another ball of light came forward. And I didn't recognize this one other than it seemed like uh, an authority figure. And so I paid attention, I listened, and it told me that I couldn't stay there, that it wasn't my time yet, that I had to go back, uh, that I had a higher purpose to fulfill on earth, and that eventually I would come back there. Um, in fact, it told me not in words, but in thoughts, that I would return right about the same time I left. Hmm. There would be very little time elapsed in that place when I returned. Now, this is 52 years ago now. Hmm. And, um, and I still believe when I go back, I'll be right back where I was when I had that experience. So I, as a, you know, as a good soldier, I listened and um, the sanity told me that I had a higher purpose and that I had to fulfill that higher purpose in order to uh, uh, become a better person, a better spirit. Um, I had to learn a lot more. And he told me that no matter what happens, when I go back, that I won't die on that day. Now, I didn't think much about that because I was already mortally wounded. And uh, a thought of being wounded further had not crossed my mind. But like a good soldier, I turned, I went back, I was in the dark tunnel. And when I got back to the battlefield, I kind of came to on the ground. I was still bleeding, but I was surrounded by this white light. I was surrounded by all this, this beautiful feeling and this sense that everything was okay. And I felt no pain, no concern whatsoever about what was going to happen to me. And, um, As I was starting to get up, I hollered at my men to stay down and that I was going to get up and go get help. Well, as I started to get up, I saw one of my men come crawling over to me. And he'd been shot uh, badly in the chest and gut area. And I immediately knew he was going where I just came from. So I took him in my arms and I held him. And I looked in his face and I watched him die. And as he died, I saw this, it was like fog or smoke 
rise up out of his body. I briefly communicated with him, told him that where he was going was a wonderful place and not to resist, just to let it happen. And he went to that place, to the light. And uh, I had an immediate connection with him. We did not get along well mm. prior to that. Um, he and I were always at odds with one another. But at that moment, I felt like we were brothers. Mm. There was a kinship there. So I laid him down and I covered him up. And I hollered at my men again that I was going to go get help. And as I started to get up off the ground, a sniper came out of the bushes and shot me five times through the arm, chest, neck, uh, which is what gives me my gravelly voice. (laughs) This is not my normal voice. Um, The bullets went through my neck, destroyed my larynx, destroyed my vocal cords. I have no vocal cords. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell them that, but I've been to many otolaryngologists who told me, oh, you you couldn't talk if you didn't have vocal cords. Mm -hmm. And then they look down my throat and they say, you're right, you don't have any vocal cords. So uh, I, uh, I watched as those bullets came out of the sniper's gun. And in slow motion, I saw them hit my body, enter my body, tearing my body apart. But I knew everything was going to be all right. Um, and I, I uh, reached down and I picked up my rifle and I fired back at the guy. I don't know if I hit him or not, but I know I probably scared the heck out of him. Uh, because he figured by the time I was blown up by the bomb and then shot by him, I had to be dead. And there I was getting up off the ground and shooting back. So <clears throat> I was there in this in this white light and I knew that I had to find help. Um, not just for me, but for my men who were pinned down. So I began walking and I could see 360 degrees around me, I could sense where to go to see the medics and the rest of our uh, our unit, the headquarters group, where the medics and all the radios were. And um, I just kept walking in that direction. I walked right through hedgerows without feeling a thing, without being touched. And suddenly I saw the man ahead of me and I heard them, some of them coming towards me. And uh, as they touched me, as they put their hands on me, my, the, the part of me that was outside of me, leading me to help, went back inside of me when they touched me. That part of my spirit re-entered. And... Um, I uh, I spent uh, the next two years in the hospital recovering from all these injuries. I was told on many occasions that I would not survive. Uh, 
Um, they went to cut off my left arm. Uh, they told me I would just dangle at my side. And uh, they were going to put in a permanent trach tube. They said I could never breathe without it. Um, I do not have one. Um, and there's my left arm. It works good. Um, I got a lot of nasty scars, but I'm pretty much functional. I mean, there's some residual effect from all those injuries. But um, I, I uh, in 2003, I published the book, If Morning Never Comes, which originally was to talk about this experience and one other um, kind of semi-near-death experience that I had. And one of the comments that I get a lot from the book is, why didn't you spend more time describing the near-death experience? Well, for me, I'm still there. It, 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 that experience is still happening. Mm. It's been a part of my life for 52 years. Um, that spirit that guides me, that white light, has always been there. Now, I always I haven't always paid attention to it. You know, being a, a guy, mm. I kind of, you know, I, I get off track sometimes. And, and um, but every time I've called on that spirit, it's been there for me. Um, I, I had no idea where I was going in life. Um, I went to college and, and uh, I opened up a business of my own. And I thought that was going to do great. And then uh, I ended up selling the business. Um, and... I just felt like I was off my path. And a little bit of introspection, a little bit of talking to the spirit, and I was able to get back on the path and found a new career path. Um, I went back to school, got a master's degree in social work, and became a, a social worker at a VA hospital, hmm. helping vets like myself. And uh, I worked there for 20 years. I'm retired now. Um, and throughout my life, throughout the many, many things, and in the book I describe all the, the, the journeys that the Spirit took me on. But throughout this time, that, that light, that Spirit, that, that sense of well-being, that sense of who I am and and that I should never be afraid to take a chance or reach out or talk to someone or uh, get involved in something. Um, that's been with me. It's that, that piece of that near-death experience that continued to follow me, to continue to be part of my life. So really, the near-death experience never stopped. You speak of the spirit that's with you. Do you have a name for this spirit? Uh, no, just spirit. Just spirit. I, I just call it spirit. Doesn't have a name. It's mm -hmm. well, technically it's me. Mm. 
it's it's the essence of who I am. It is my it is my um, spiritual self that lives within me and guides me. Maybe some people call it their higher self. The higher self, yeah, you can call it higher self. I call it sometimes. I call it the essence because it's kind of distilled from everything that I do in life. It's it's all my experiences in life have added to the quality of that spirit, so that when I go to the other side again. I will have this well-aged, well-informed spirit. I will be at a much higher level than when I was 19. Before or after this experience, were you or are you now a religious person? And would you consider the experience to be religious or spiritual or both? Well, I have... uh, thoughts about religion. Mm-hmm. Um, religion does not come from the spirit. It comes from man. It's a man-made thing. Uh, we created religion to kind of deal with some of our spiritual issues, but um, there are a lot of other ulterior motives as well mm-hmm. to religions. Some religions, not all religions. Um, when I was very young, uh, my mother used to take me to church and she took me to a, it was kind of a non-denominational church, but it was Christian based. And, uh, they told me when we, I would go to the, the Sunday school and the Bible camps that Jesus and God were these all loving, all caring beings that They loved everybody, that they loved all of humanity. But then they turned around and said, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I have friends who are Jewish, and I have friends who are um, other religions other than Christian. I don't want them to go to hell. Why would they go to hell? They're nice people. And... uh, So I started exploring. I started going to church with my friends. And what I saw was their religion was telling them basically the same thing. If you don't believe what we believe, you're going to go to hell. And uh, so I kind of gave up on religion pretty early in life. Um, I found that a lot of religious people were uh, hypocritical. A lot of preachers were hypocritical. And so I let go of religion and embraced spirituality. That that force that exists outside of us. And it's not, um, in, in my spirit world, um, my God loves everybody. Doesn't matter what you believe in. My God loves you anyway. Mm. And uh, so um, we're all one. We're all one people here on this planet. We're all connected by this spiritual energy. Um, 
And that energy comes from the universe, as does God. If And God's kind of an elusive um, character because we want to see God as it may be being Jesus Christ or or Buddha or Muhammad or, or somebody that, uh, you know, we hold in high esteem. And we want God to be somewhat human and we want God to be uh, guiding our life. We want to turn our life over to God. Let God kind of take care of us. But God doesn't do that. <laughs> That's not God's job. God gave you free will, you know, to live your own life, to make your own decisions, to guide your own path. Not that he wouldn't help or she actually wouldn't help. I figure if God is the creator of the universe, uh, only women can create life. So God must be a woman. Mm. And, um, but in my belief, God is there when you want to talk, when you want to communicate. But if you go out and rob a bank and think that God's going to help you get away with it, mm-hmm. ain't going to happen. Uh, if you think that God is going to protect you from natural disasters, from uh, uh, from uh, mass shooters, from any kind of, of disastrous thing that might happen to you, God isn't going to protect you from that. I asked my, 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 uh, some of my religious friends who are also, uh, heavily into toting guns. Mm -hmm. And I say, if God is taking care of you and taking care of all your needs and watching out so that you don't, nothing happens to you, why do you need a gun? Mm -hmm. So obviously they don't fully believe what they preach. And, um, so uh, God is kind of this, to me, is this kind of elusive energy source in the universe that connects us all. We're not only just connected on this planet. We are connected by the energy of the universe throughout the universe. And uh, I, I discovered that more uh, on my last near-death experience. Mm. That uh, where I actually had a chance to go out in the universe and float around and see things and see how we're connected and see how much life there is in this universe. It's incredible. Do you feel like we're all connected in the force like in Star Wars? Yeah, you know, the first time I saw Star Wars, I was... I think I was 26 or so. And, uh, of course, I'd had this near-death experience. I'd been enveloped by this white light that guided me, that helped heal me, that that took me uh, uh, through the, the rigors of the medical system, you know, uh, and uh, made me uh, look beyond what the doctors were saying to what I believe spiritually. And when I saw Star Wars, uh, 
And they started talking about the force. I said, that's it. That's it. That's what it is. It's a force. And you can, you can do all that with it. And it's just, uh, it's an amazing power. Um, and we, we wield that power. Not some God that overlooks us. We wield that power. It's within us. It's a part of us. But if you don't tap into it, if you don't touch it, if you don't feel it, it can't do anything for you. That's very interesting. What are your thoughts on war now after going through all this experience, especially due to a war? That's a good question. And I, I, I waffle on that sometimes mm. uh, because sometimes I think that fighting violence with violence is necessary um, because I believe that there are evil people in the world, that there are evil forces in the world. And sometimes the only way to quell those forces um, is through violent acts. Um, I don't personally like to be a violent person. I'm, I'm pretty much a peace-loving person, uh, pretty much a pacifist. But having been a soldier and having fought and having um, escaped some, some close calls, uh, I know that if I had to fight or I had to take a life, I could do it. I think we all could if it meant protecting our loved ones or protecting ourselves. So I, I'm overall I'm opposed to war. I don't I think there are much better ways to resolve our problems. But if there are other people who don't see eye to eye with you about that resolution and feel that they're going to exert force on you, then you should probably be prepared to exert force back. Um, this material world, this world we live in, we kind of have to live in this whole world. I mean, with all of its good things and its bad things. So we can't just say, I'm a pacifist um, and I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that or uh, I'm going to be a, a, a vegan and uh, I'm going to, you know, not eat anything that touches animals. Um, I love animals, but, you know, I also believe that they're part of the food chain. Um, there's, a, there's a natural order. And I think we try to violate that order sometimes. And I tell people that if you can let go of your need to control everything um, and allow the natural path to open up, your life will be simple. It will be good. It will be productive. It's easy to say that. It's not easy to do that. Um, you know, and I, like I said, I try to do it as much as I can. Um, but I'm subject to everything that everybody else is on this planet and to the pressures and the forces and, 
you know, not having enough money or not having enough food or whatever it might be. Um, not that I've ever had to do without. Um, I, in fact, I, sometimes that spirit has provided for me when I, uh, I probably wasn't even deserving of it. But, yeah. um, but I had to ask. I have to ask the spirit. I have to engage the spirit to get what I want from this life on earth. And then when we go, when we die and we leave our body, that essence of who we are enters the universe, becomes a part of the energy of the universe, becomes tied to all other energy in the universe. And life changes drastically. It's, it's an entirely different life. And we let go of our earthly life. Not all of it. We, we keep that essence. We keep some memories, not, not many. Um, but we keep more of the things that we've learned than the things that we've done. So we take that with us. And I believe that spirits are born and they live and they die just like human beings, except that when the spirit is born and through its life, there's probably a billion years that pass. They, they carry on for much, much longer. Um, but I don't think it's infinite. Hmm. Um, I think that that and certain certain spirits rise up to be gods. They grow up, they become so mature, so self-aware, so knowledgeable that they become gods. Um, and, and I don't know that I would ever be a God. Mm. I think I'm more of, um, I'm more of a teacher. Mm. I, I, it's, it's always been in my nature to teach people, to help them to learn something new and then reach behind me and pull somebody up into that new experience. Mm. Uh, so I think that's, that's my purpose. Um, and I talked about purpose before when I had, when I was talking about the being in the white light. It took me a while to figure out these purposes. And my very first purpose, which it took me a while to figure out, was to heal myself. We can't heal anybody else. We can't do anything for anybody else till we take care of ourselves. So my first purpose was to heal myself to use my spiritual energy, to use the white light, to heal myself. And I did. I mean, it was, I'm not a a strong believer in miracles, but it was pretty close to miraculous. Um, and, uh, And then later in life, I realized that my next purpose was to reach out and help certain groups of people. And I, that's what led me into the mental health field and helping mentally ill people. And uh, it just seemed like that spirit was able to 
take me to where I needed to go to help those people. It took me inside their heads. It, it took me uh, inside their their understanding of the world, which is an unusual one. Um, and uh, and I was very successful at helping people to heal mentally. And then the next purpose, and I just, it was like these words kept coming to me. The words just kept coming, and I never really understood them all. But for years and years and years and years, the words talk to the people came to me. Talk to the people. So uh, in 1989, when I made my first uh, public uh, statement about my near-death experience, I realized that that's what talking to the people means. Telling them, sharing the experience. <laughs> Excuse me. When, um, when I was in the meeting and the first time that I told my story, um, I was, I was kind of overwhelmed. Um, it was actually the second time I told the story. The first time I went to an IONS group, uh, International Association for Near Death Studies. I went to one of their groups in Parkland, Washington, and the group was about six people. So it was easy to just kind of talk and be friendly and tell my story. Um, and they said, well, you have to go to Seattle and talk to Kimberly Clark Sharp and to her group. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I can do that. Uh, thinking that, you know, maybe they have eight or ten people in their group. And I got to that group, and it was like 150 people. Wow. <laughs> huge audience. I mean, a huge audience. And I got up, and I told my story. And afterwards, this guy came up to me, and he says, well, can you prove anything that you said? And I said, well, I can get my military records. I can prove that all of my injuries were... Uh, exactly what I said they were and kind of the rest of it you kind of have to take with faith I guess and about two seconds after this guy leaves this other guy comes up and he's a philosophy professor at the University of Washington and he's an older guy um, and he says you don't have to explain anything to anybody you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Just tell your story. Just be honest and tell your story. And so that took me on a wild journey of talking to the people, telling the story. And I, I spoke at a couple of international conferences and I was on TV I was on all these different TV shows and talk shows and kind of made the, the talk show circuit. And, um, and, uh, about, I did that for about 10 years. And suddenly the, the message I was getting 
is that you have to talk to more people. Hmm. You got to have bigger audiences. Well, I, I'm just an average guy. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't see myself as being special. And I'm actually a little um, antisocial at times. You know, sometimes I just don't like being around people a lot. Hmm. Um, but I thought, how can I take it to a bigger audience? Well, the answer was write a book. You know, then that can go out all over. But then I began getting invitations to television shows and radio shows. And I kind of became enamored of radio. Hmm. I really thought radio was a great thing because you can talk to people, they can hear you, and you can reach a, a fairly large audience. And so um, I started becoming a guest on different talk shows. Um, I was a guest on a morning show uh, once a month for 10 years. Wow. And then uh, a buddy of mine, a guy that I had met a long time ago, was a DJ. And so I talked to him about doing our own show. I said, why don't we do a paranormal show? So we did. We put it together. I got the boss to approve it and put us on the air. And we did a, a paranormal talk show. And uh, I was reaching out to more people. And uh, my wife, it was our anniversary. And she wanted to do something unique for me and uh, so I, I told you I lost my right eye in the in the bomb blast so I have an artificial eye plastic eye um, most people don't notice but um, she I went to get a new eye it was time I have to get a new one about every four or five years um, they don't wear out but they get uh, embedded with things that you don't want in your eye socket. So um, I was getting the new eye made and my wife was kind of skittish about the whole eye thing to begin with. And she was always a little freaked out when I took my eye out. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, to her credit, she went in there with all these artificial eyes and people with artificial eyes and just kind of took it in stride. And I didn't know it, but she made a deal with the lady who was making my eyes to make me an eye with a Seattle Seahawks logo in it. Oh, wow. And so uh, she gave that to me for our anniversary. And I have an eye with a Seattle Seahawks logo in it. Um, it's the only one on the planet, as far as I know. Um but so I went back to my friends at the radio station and I wore the eye with the Seahawks logo in it. Mm. And they thought it was really cool. And so the, the news manager put it up on their, on their website and on their Facebook page. And pretty soon I'm getting calls from all over the world. People want to talk about this, mm -hmm. this eye with the Seahawks logo in it and I thought okay 
I'm going to talk sports, but I'm going to talk near-death experience too. Yeah. I'm going to incorporate that, share my spirituality with this big audience. Well, it, it bubbled up, you know, for a few days, like fame does. You know, you get famous and you're famous for about uh, 10 days and then it fades away. And uh, but just about as time it was fading away, I got a call from ESPN. Hmm. They wanted to do a feature story for Monday Night Football. Now, Monday Night Football is broadcast all over the world, probably has one of the biggest audiences of any television show in the world. And I get to go on and tell my story and talk about what happened and talk about my near-death experience to millions and millions and millions of people. And I did, and, and it was wonderful. And I got famous for another 10 days. <laughs> um, for people who think that they can do something exciting like that and be famous for the rest of their life, doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, famous fleeting, you get your 15 minutes. And I've been way lucky because I've had way more than my 15 minutes of fame. Mm -hmm. You know, I've probably had a couple hours worth. But, um, but like I say, I'm kind of, I'm kind of reclusive at times. Mm -hmm. I kind of like my private space. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a private person. Um, I don't talk a lot about my home life or, uh, my family, uh, uh, my wife and my dog. And, um, it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a nice thing to have that place where the spirit and I can commune without people wanting to touch it or feel it or be healed by it. Um, it kind of scared me when people wanted me to touch them. They heard about that I kind of had some healing powers and, and they wanted me to touch them and, and to give them this healing power. And I, I really couldn't do it. It didn't, doesn't work that way. So, um, I usually don't tell people about the healing power, uh, because the next thing you know, they're knocking on my door. Mm -hmm. I've actually had people camp out in my driveway uh, waiting for me to come home so that they could get an autograph. Wow. So I'm sure if I talked about the other healing power stuff that God knows what would happen. Um, well, the new thing is today is selfies, so people might want to get a picture of you, them and you with that eye. Yeah, I've done that. I've, I've worn the eye. And I now, uh, five years after the Seahawk eye, I now have a Seattle Mariners eye as well. So I have both the local teams that I, I'm a big sports fan. And... Um, I, I love our local teams, uh, even though they don't win very often. Um, they're, they're exciting to watch. 
And uh, so I support them in that way. Um, but I've done that. I've done, I've gone out and done public appearances at rallies and stuff, wearing the eye and people want to take selfies and, you know, and get close. And, and I, I, that was okay. I didn't mind that too much. Now you want to get your story out to as many people as possible. I feel that's still maybe your purpose right now. So do you have any other projects? Do you have any other projects besides coming on people's pro- podcasts or anything to help with that purpose? No, I, I've, I, I do um, podcasts like yours. I, I probably do maybe four or five times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always good. I always get good feedback from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to read the comments that people leave. Some people say nasty things. That's okay. But uh, some people, most people say good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've slowed down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not making that effort. I'm getting old. I'm mm-hmm. 71 now. And uh, I have talked and talked and talked about this uh, near-death experience. I've, I've been to... I spoke at a, a IAMS conference a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm still doing some of that stuff, but I'm trying to fade it out. Uh, my health isn't what it used to be. Uh, you know, as, as uh, I'm subject to all the rigors of old age, just like anybody else. And uh, as I get older, it gets harder to to do those things. It gets harder to, to travel. And, uh, in fact, I don't travel at all anymore. Uh, in fact, I just moved so that people can't camp out in my driveway for an autograph. And, uh, that's all why. <laughs> I'm teasing, but, um, uh, yeah, my, my wife and I, we sold our, our home. Uh, we were living in Ocean Shores, Washington, uh, at the beach there, and uh, it was lovely. We lived there for 17 years, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but now we moved closer into the city. Ocean Shores is a remote tourist location. Mm-hmm. There's very little health care there. There's just a lot of things that old people need that aren't available. So we moved to the city, and uh, we have all that stuff right at our fingertips now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's much, much better. Uh, you know, I think that was a wise decision. Uh, let me ask you this. You said that the experience never left you. And I feel that that is because you always have the, the essence of your spirit with you. But are you ever longing to go back to that place that you experienced or do you ever feel homesick or do you feel like you're missing that place? There was a time um, when I was making my career change, there were some, some uh, desperate days and, and some down days when uh, I just couldn't figure out where to go next. And uh, I thought, I'd just like to go back to the light. Hmm. It was so wonderful there. 
And then, of course, you know, my spirit would smack me upside the head. Mm. And uh, there's a there's a story in my book about the Avon lady. I was sitting in my little basement apartment, brooding, um, getting more depressed. I couldn't find a job and I couldn't figure out where to go and what to do and how to do it. And I'm sitting there thinking how I wanted to go back to the light and what I would have to do to to do that, um, which was to take my own life. But in the light, I was told that We have to live our lives to their natural conclusion, which does not include suicide, unfortunately. And um, uh, so I'm sitting there just, just about as depressed as a person could be. And there's a knock at my door. And I thought, who the heck could that be? And I open the door and there's this little Japanese lady standing there. And she says, Avon calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, th- I thought about just slamming the door on her, but I, I'm a nicer person than that. So I said, okay, let me see what you've got. And, and I invited her in and she kind of walked in, looked around my apartment, looked at me and figured that Avon probably wasn't what I needed. Mm-hmm. So she began telling me about her church and a church group. Of, of younger people that were going on a retreat. And I thought, oh God, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hang with those church people. You know, I really don't want to go on a church retreat. That that would be uh, just too, uh, too difficult for me. I don't know if I could keep my mouth shut. And uh, so I thought, how can I get out of this? And she says that, um, the tuition was uh, $50 to go on this trip that covered your your food and stuff. And I said, well, I, you know, I don't really have $50 right now. And so, you know, maybe next time, I'll, you know, you can contact me and we'll see. And I thought I could kind of push her out the door. And she said, well, my husband and I offer scholarships to people who can't afford to go. And I thought, oh man, she's got me in a corner now. And now what do I do? So I finally gave in and said, okay, I'll go. If you're going to pay for it, I'll go. And uh, so uh, I went on the retreat and I got on the bus with all the other people going on the retreat. And um, I was really uncomfortable on the bus ride out to this. It was way out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, but, the, but it was a nice camp. It had nice cabins and, and had a nice mess hall and a rec hall. And it was a nice place. And, um, I, uh, I thought, well, okay, you know, this is, this is all right. I can tolerate this for the weekend. So I went and found my bunk and I went and had some dinner and I decided to go turn in early. And I woke up early the next morning, very early. The sun was just beginning to come up. And I thought, I'm going to take a walk. So I put on my jacket and I was walking down this dirt road. Um, Didn't really know where I was going, but I thought I probably can't get lost if I stay on the road. Mm 
And I came to this meadow, this beautiful meadow with some little wildflowers growing in it and green grass. And I stopped and I, I looked at it and it was just beautiful. And there's a little fog uh, laying on the ground early in the morning, you know, that little mist of fog. And then suddenly a family of deer walked out into the meadow and began grazing. And I thought, wow, this is great. This is wonderful. So I sat down on a log and I'm watching the deer and taking in this gorgeous scene. And all of a sudden, I'm back in the white light, hmm. talking to the spirit, uh, uh, talking to my grandfather. And I don't really remember what we said, but he kind of instilled in me this, um, this drive that I needed to move on to find my new career and to uh, create a new life. Uh, and, and it was, um, it was a wonderful experience. And then the light faded away and I was back in the meadow, but I was aglow with the light while I was sitting there in the meadow and watching the deer. And I casually walked back up to the camp and they were having their morning prayer meeting. So I sat in on that. Um, I'm actually a big fan of prayer. I don't, I think there's a, I, I separate prayer from religion. Um, prayer is like, it's like uh, extending your, your spirit. It's like if a whole bunch of people get together and pray, they can combine their energy and it's a tremendous force. It can heal people. It can make things happen. It can, it can motivate people. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful, powerful thing. And we can also call it meditation. We can call it whatever we want, but I still call it prayer. It's, I figure it's okay. I'll steal that word from the religious world. And, um, um, I sat there through the whole thing and prayed with them and kind of joined in a little bit. And, and the rest of the weekend was wonderful. I met a lot of interesting people. There were two Vietnamese men that were there. They had been officers in the North Vietnamese army. Mm. That's the opposition army to what we were fighting. And, um, I spent a long time talking with them and we talked about, you know, we were just fighting for what we believed in and, and um, you know, it wasn't personal and we don't have to carry animosity for one another just because we were once enemies and now we don't have to be enemies anymore. Mm. Um, and that taught me a lot too. It taught me how to accept people um, regardless of who they are, where they've been, what they've experienced, even if it's in opposition to what I've experienced. And, um, you know, to this day, I'm, a, I'm very much a, um, 
a believer that that most people are good, and that uh, uh, you know, if we just get to know each other, that we can get along with just about anybody. Um, but like I say, there are some evil forces in the world, and you know, when you encounter them, you just have to walk away. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if you don't encounter the evil, then maybe it's a good person. Yeah. Give him a shot. Give him a chance. Don't hold grudges. Just, and that, what I usually when I go talk to groups, I tell them that you have to love everyone and everything. You have to love every blade of grass, every animal, every earthworm, every tree, every person. You have to love them within your heart. But you don't necessarily have to like them. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of people, I, I give them my love. I love them because they're on this planet with us. But I don't particularly like them, so I don't associate with them. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's yeah. fine. Yes, I agree with that. You've given us a lot of wisdom, I feel like, today. And I really appreciate you. Before we wrap it up, do you have one last message that you'd like to share with everybody? Yeah. The light is love. And the universe is love. And it's so, so important for us to understand that love is what drives us. Not hate, not anger, not all those other things, but but pure um uh just just love from your heart you know no strings attached thank you for that and bill thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate you uh maybe if you're up to it sometime i can get you back and we can talk more about your other two ndes sure and uh if you'd like to know more my book, If Morning Never Comes, is available at Amazon. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it goes into a lot more detail. Right. But uh, uh, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And before we go, I'm, and I'm so sorry, I wanted to ask you this. Do you have a website or do you have any other things on social media for people to check out, like a Facebook page or anything? I have a, a Facebook page. Um it's kind of political. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I have two pages. I have one that I, I express my political views. And the other one, I express my spiritual views. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if you just type in Bill Vandenbush and mm-hmm. search, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll find either one of those pages. All right. And the name of your book again is If Morning Never Comes, and you said it was on Amazon. Is it like also in uh, any of the stores? Like you can physically buy it or is it only on? Uh, not anymore. It used to be. It used to be in Barnes and Noble and some of the other bookstores. But um, it's been on the market 17 years and now mm. we just sell on Amazon. Mm. Um I have a new publisher and he feels that, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon is a good central location. Uh, although he has a bookstore and he carries it in his bookstore. Mm. 
Is there an odd? Do you want to go to London? Yeah. Well, there's a star. Yeah. Is there an audio or a Kindle version of your book? There is a Kindle version. Um, It is on Kindle. Uh, It's been on Kindle for almost since it was first published. And, um, but there is no audio version. I, um, my wife tries to get me to do an audio version in my own voice. And I tell her, if I have to read that whole book in my own voice out loud, I'll run out of voice after the first couple of chapters. Mm. So, um, you know, uh, so I haven't done it. I agree with your wife. I think the book would be amazing in your voice. And maybe that's some kind of project that you could maybe do, you know, one chapter a month or something. I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it might be interesting to give it a shot. So other people have said the same thing. Your wife and I've got to team up on you and get you to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's good. She takes good care of me. Yes. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, thanks again. And I really appreciate you and have a great evening. Thank you, Jeff. Mm. I'll see you again soon. I hope so. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.